I'm Kelly Rose Lamb, and this is Bold. This show is for women who believe there is more than the script we've been handed. I interview women and hear their stories to uncover the common thread of boldness running through their lives. On this show, I talk with Rebecca Thomas-Cole. She is a solo mom that is refreshingly open about her life. The honest conversation about evolution, healing, leading, although her faith-based background discouraged it, and guiding others who might have experienced similar things is ultimately refreshing. We might make fun of Hallmark just briefly, but end up bonding over being Enneagram 8s. Rebecca is an accredited Enneagram practitioner through Integrative Enneagram. She'll be adding trauma-informed life coaching in early spring 2023. Her vision is helping people find freedom from societal expectations and finding their own meaningful paths, choosing their own names, and ridding themselves of the harmful ones they've been given. Her own experience has involved a lot of healing work, and she wants to be a guide for others that are on a similar path. Rebecca is working on her first book, which will have a lot to do with finding and living into our true identities. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Rebecca, I would love to jump in. I would love to know a little bit about yourself. Where are you calling in from and how do you show up in this world? Tell us a bit about you. Yeah, so I live on the Pacific Coast. I live in Central Coast, California, about 20 minutes from the ocean. I did not grow up here. So I've lived here for about 19 years. So I guess I can say I'm from here now, but I grew up in the Midwest. But it's definitely different from how I grew up. I grew up in that very Midwest, nice kind of atmosphere and not really in the Bible Belt, but a lot more conservative. And then I moved out here to the West Coast and things definitely changed once I moved out here. I have raised a family. I have three children that are 19, 15, and seven. And I show up many times as a mother, but I also do have a career that I've had for about the past 10 years. I have that sort of professional career side of me. And then the last couple of years, I've really focused a lot more on how I can help other women because Mm -hmm. I've just been through a lot of things. And so I thought I really do have a great opportunity to help be a guide for some women that are going through hard times or will go through hard times. I think a lot of people don't get to the place where you want to act as a guide. Before we dig into those things that have caused you to be a guide to others, I would love to hear how do you think location and specifically being near the ocean has changed your perspective on life? That is such an interesting question. My daughter and I just actually took a walk at the ocean the other day. Once we got there, we just walked near it. And I think it's such an interesting thing to be able to look out at such like an expansive body of water and realize how small my life really is, you know, in the grand scheme of things. So it's a, it's a really cool way of getting perspective. I think also seeing like I don't know, just the way things work together, the way in nature things work together. It has been really, really cool to be near water. And actually, when I go home now, so I do still have friends and family in the Midwest. When I go there, I can feel like that I'm missing that rhythm Mm -hmm. of the water. And so it is really kind of cool. It's become part of who I am for sure. That's so interesting. I am also on the West Coast and there's something that's so refreshing When you lose perspective to go and sit by it or walk by it and just listen, I think it's one of those things. It feels like a universal experience, but I've never asked anybody that question. I loved your response. So thank you for that. Yeah. If you're okay with it and only to the degree you want to, I would love to dive into those challenges you face that have 
caused you to want to help other people? Sure. Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> no, there's. Um, yeah, I think the the ones that I think that probably struck passion in me more than anything to help women. First of all, I was a single mom for a long time, and so mm. there is a lot that came out of that. Not just in being a solo parent, but mm. also some of the ways that like community kind of didn't show up for me. That I feel like I want it to be different, you know. And mm. so I would like to be more part of that changing how community shows up. And it kind of with the political landscape that we are living in now with in the U.S. with Roe versus Wade being overturned and things like mm-hmm. that, it's just like mm-hmm. we're asking a, a far greater community of women to take on that role of single mom potentially. And I just see there's so much work to be done to actually show up as true and real community to women that are the solo parents and heads mm-hmm. of their households. So that was one thing for me. When I was a lot younger, I did have a period of time where I really struggled with drugs. And Mm -hmm. so there was a period of recovery there. And I still implement a lot of those practices in my life now. And just some other typical things, maybe I say typical because they're typical for (laughs) me and people I'm around. Maybe that's not really true, but I did struggle with body image. I still do. Mm -hmm. Definitely struggled with bulimia and anorexia in high school. And then some sexual assault things that happened to me as I was getting into my 20s. So there have been a couple different things and I've been divorced. So my life has taken some really interesting turns. My youngest son, his father was actually extremely abusive. So there was getting out of an abusive relationship and then Mm. reestablishing my identity as even just a human being. I've recently been doing a lot of writing about that in particular that time. And I remember very specifically a day of going to the grocery store by myself and being terrified to do that. And I can't even imagine that person now. Like to me, that Mm -hmm. woman is not even, she's not me at all. I can't hardly relate to her, but she was me. And so how did I get from there to where I am now, where I am fiercely independent and Mm -hmm. very outspoken. So I really had to take myself from this very small person that I had become and figure out how to take up space and re- reinvent myself. And how did you do that? And I know it's not read these 10 steps and right. evolve as a person or get a mentor. I think there's yeah. like lots of very simplistic ways of talking about the ways we evolve. But all of those things you've listed, some people will have gone through one of those or two of those or some yeah. none of those. Amazing. If that's the case, I, very few people, in my opinion, would fit into that category. But that's a long list of very challenging things. And each one, I mean, we could have an interview about each one of those things. But how did you go from that life to an unrecognizable person to yourself? That's the story that I think women need to hear. You can show up one way in your life and then you can be on this long, hard path and evolve. So I would love to hear your story of how that happened. It was really a matter of establishing my identity and deciding what that was going to be. I read actually Donald Miller's book, Scary Close. And I think that book probably was the most life-changing book I've ever read because it kind of, it shifted my perspective a lot on Mm -hmm. how was I going to care for this younger version of myself that I had not really ever thought about before. So I had been kind of living in this pattern of almost shame. Like Mm. I don't want to do some of these things. Or even some of the things that had happened to me still carrying around shame that somehow those things were my fault. Hmm. And when I read that book, I just realized like, wow, I haven't really given this younger child inside of me like the attention that she really deserves. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd been letting a lot of people tell me who I needed to be. 
And I realized that I needed to figure out who I was and who I needed to be for me. And not Mm -hmm. just me. At that time, I had children. I had my three children. And so I really had to figure out who is that. And I remember that there's a Bible verse that says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that verse. And I, at the time, I think I was actually teaching a Bible study. So I think that's how that even came up. Um, But I started doing some research on what it meant. And to guard your heart was like to guard who you are. Mm -hmm. like those feelings and emotions, but also who you are. And so I was like, I don't even know who I am. Who am I? And so I started doing a lot of work on what are my core values? What are the things that I want to walk into this world with? Number one, that was a word I carried with me for, I think, 2015. It was my word of the year was integrity. So what Mm -hmm. does that mean to live an integrous life where I show up as me in every situation? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a different person depending on which group of people I'm with but really to be me. And in order to do that, I had to figure out who I was. And I think in that process, I realized I really value honesty. I really value adventure. I really value follow through. Hmm. So there were a lot of things where I realized I was actually allowing things into my life that didn't align with those values. And so the more I held on to those things that I really valued, other things started to fall away. Hmm. And I started to become really proud of who I was becoming and making decisions that were for me and not for other people. It was a long process, really long, and it's still going. Like that process is not over by any means. I was going to ask because I feel like what we can do is talk about our life in a conclusive way. You know, this was me and now I'm here and I'm healed or fill in the blank. Where do you see yourself on that kind of evolution? I keep using the word evolution. I feel like that's what you've described. You're like, I've evolved. Where are you in that path? And then what does the future look like as far as where you want to be? I think every time I feel like I've arrived, no, not yet. There's actually another layer. And I think healing really does happen in layers where it's like, okay, I got through a thing and now another thing comes. But the thing that comes next is something I maybe wasn't ready for two years to go, two years ago to like really dive into. And so that's kind of happening to me right now, actually, during this season. I am remarried. And so I do have Uh, My husband and I have been married now for a a little over a year. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And he really is like a unicorn. He's like, I don't know how I found him. I don't know how Mm -hmm. I, like, I tell him I don't deserve you all the time. He's like, it's not about that. It's about like, Mm -hmm. we really truly are great partners for each other. And so in this time right now, even last night we were talking, I realized I'm like in this new thing that I previously would never have been ready to enter into as far as like wrestling with it. And going through some of the things that I have, there was certainly a long period of time of survival mode. So even though healing was happening, there's Mm -hmm. still this survival mode that has to continue until I got to a place where I knew that I was actually safe to really deal with some things. And so I think this relationship that I have with my husband is that safe place. Hmm. And I can be more honest and I can communicate actually more of myself with him. And that creates even safer space. And I'm in this new place where I didn't even know I had all this other stuff I needed to still be dealing with. And a lot of it is about my children, you know, as Mm -hmm. a mom, raising them in this very survival mode cocoon, I now have capacity and the ability to show up for them in a much more nurturing way than I could before. And that is new for them too. So how do we do this new thing where I get to actually be truly mom and not just provider, disciplinarian, just safety keeper? 
like mm-hmm. actually nurturing them in different ways. It never ends. And it totally evolution, I think, is a really great word because I'm consistently becoming more than I was before. It's so refreshing to hear you talk about even how your parenting has changed as a result of your own process. I think very few people talk about the harder days or the days where you couldn't provide as much. So just really want to honor you for vocalizing that. I'm not a mother, but I think a lot of mothers would resonate, but maybe not voice it. You said that you were a single mom Mm -hmm. and your community didn't show up for you in the ways that you needed to when you got divorced. Is that accurate? Yes. Can you talk about that? Because nobody probably plans on getting divorced. Probably very few people plan on being single moms once you've gotten married under the pretenses that you have. I would just love to hear how you grappled with that community, what you would have wanted from them, what you had to go through. Some of the, yeah, just dig in in whatever ways you want there. Yeah, I love that you just said that. No one really plans to be a single mom. I absolutely believe that's true. Even if we ultimately are the ones that are deciding that we are going to end the marriage, which is what happened in my case, I didn't do it because I had always thought I'd be a single mom. I wasn't 12 years old sitting there thinking, someday I'm going to go and raise children by myself. That's not how that works. Whether it's because a spouse passed away or whatever the circumstances are, It isn't something that's planned for. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I think that in my case, I tend to be a little bit, so I'm totally into Enneagram stuff. I'm an Enneagram practitioner and I'm an eight. So I'm going to call it out. Me too. Amazing. Yeah. So if it's not just, I have to say it, right? I want justice. And so where other women might not have ever said anything or they might just think, well, people don't have time or whatever. I'm over here thinking, yes, but we're supposed to be community to each other, especially Mm -hmm. in my case, a church community and not happening. So I have to say something. And I still feel like that. I still feel Mm -hmm. like it's kind of because I am somebody that will do that, then then I should do that, right? Mm -hmm. In the case of my situation with my kids, my oldest son is neurodivergent. So that is another thing I didn't list before, but that's Mm -hmm. been quite a journey for us. He's 19 now. He was officially diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety, and oppositional defiance disorder when he was 11. Mm -hmm. And so we went, navigated schools and traditional school isn't built for everyone. So trying to help a child fit into that is difficult and required a lot of advocacy. In addition to that, as the sole provider and single solo parent in my home, It was just me. And I really knew that my son needed more than just me to really thrive. And I asked for that help many times. I asked for that help from youth leaders. I asked for that help from older men in the church that were elders in the church and just saying, hey, my kid really needs like male guidance here. And it never happened. I would guess they would say that they did do it a little bit. Like they checked in with him at youth group or they text them or they'd check in with me occasionally. But what I was asking for was for them to build relationship with him, to be a mentor, Mm -hmm. to actually Mm -hmm. hold him accountable to some things. Um, And I obviously, as his mother, felt that those things were my responsibility to make sure that they happened. But I also knew my own limitations, Mm -hmm. that I couldn't do everything. Yeah. Ultimately, I would say I now he still struggles. We still struggle. And i do truly wish that could have been different for him. I think it really would have made a difference, but the circumstances can't change now. So we do what we can. And honestly, my husband is such an amazing human being 
and also struggled with ADHD when he was in high school and Mm -hmm. a child. So he has a different perspective that he can have a relationship with my son in a way that other people may not have been able to because he can resonate with the feelings and all of that. But I really wish that we would have been maybe more taken in as part of the families that were there Mm -hmm. and we just really weren't. Wow, that's so tough. Thank you for talking about that. Along the same lines, one of the questions I have for women at large and those who particularly grew up in the church or in more conservative areas, I feel like we're given these scripts and one of them is when you marry, you stay married, for example. What scripts were you given? What scripts do you still feel like you have to fight against? I would love to hear your perspectives around pushing back. And as an Enneagram 8, yeah. I'm sure you're yes. doing it all of the time. I mean, I'm doing it all of the time. But would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the first one is don't make a scene, right? Don't be loud. Oh, yeah. Be quiet. Follow the rules. The men are in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you are not meant to be the leader. Mm-hmm. You are not the leader of your family. And actually, really interestingly, that was a huge turning point for me. I had a job where I traveled a lot and my mom was very supportive of like my kids. She would She was basically the other parent for a lot Mm. of years. Wow. So I would have women say to me, how can you do that? How can you have this job? How can you leave your children? Whatever the statement might be. And then at one point I left that job and got another job. And then they were asking me different kinds of questions. So it was just like I could not win. Mm. At one point I had a woman ask me, how can you have this job and leave your children? And I just remember thinking in that moment, if I was not meant to be the leader of my family, God would never have allowed this to be my situation. So obviously it is okay that I am the leader of my family because Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that he would do that. That just made no sense to my brain. And so that kind of sparked this whole new thing of like, nope, I was made to be the leader. And I really don't think that anything I've been taught in that arena might be, (laughs) you know, the absolute truth. There are certain women who are leaders. It's written all over their lives. And then when they're in a context where that's not the norm, I think you grapple with that forever. There's always this little niggle of self-doubt. And I think that's the hardest part is you're always up against this internal dialogue of, am I allowed to do this? Am I too much? Your whole life is pushing up against something that you've been taught is right or wrong. What does it feel like for you to be a leader? How have you embraced that? It's actually an interesting process. I think I'm still grappling with it a little because, Mm -hmm. well, not a little bit, a lot, especially because of having come out of a, a pretty emotionally abusive relationship. It was not a physically abusive relationship at all, but incredibly emotionally abusive and spiritually abusive. I did become this very small person, which is so opposite of who I was when I was younger. So I'm really Mm -hmm. trying to like really fully embrace that younger me and think, what would she do? What would eight year old Rebecca do? Yeah. I have seen these scripts show up even in like my professional career where I have every opportunity to be the same leader, to be the same as a man in my company Mm -hmm. and still choosing that smaller voice, you know? And so this last year, I've really spent a lot of time just focusing on speaking up and saying what I think. And how's that gone for you? It has been so empowering and so free, a little scary at times, but I haven't gotten fired. So (laughs) I guess guess that's a win maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And some of my ideas, I am... I work in an engineering-based company and I'm not an engineer. So my master's degree is in a humanities area. And it is really interesting working with a lot of engineering type minds because they are Mm -hmm. very analytical, very logical. And then I'm over here like, yeah, but what about the people? 
what about the people? Like we have to do right by the people. I don't work in HR. I work in, I actually work with customers now. So customer experience, okay. which is a much better fit for me. But before I was working in project management and some things that were much more geared towards that logical analytical side. And it's really interesting because now that I have started to voice a lot more ideas and be more vocal, mm-hmm. we are starting to focus more on the human side of things because I'm saying we have to. We have Good to consider you. the humanity of you know our business, both internally and externally. And it's been really cool to see that embraced where mm-hmm. I always was afraid that it would be like, that's not what we do. We're engineers, you know? And uh, so it is really cool to see like, wow, things are actually happening where I was afraid that I would be pushed down. I'm not, that's not what's happening. And so it's that's been incredible. Yeah. It's been really good for me. <laughs> yeah. Cause sometimes you can, you can say, this is me. These are my opinions. I'm pushing into the unknown here. I'm being bold and you can get your hand slapped too. And yep. that's not a great experience. So I'm really yeah. glad that it's having a positive effect. You mentioned earlier, the tension of showing up as a mom for the last 10 years and also professionally, how have you balanced that? And then What has it been like to also pursue a career? I have not done a great job all the time, but there are times when I feel like, okay, there's definitely a flow. And I think that happens. There's times when life is just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then there are times where you just are like, wow, everything is just flowing right now because everything's as it should be. Those times seem to be much shorter than the ones where everything (laughs) seems overwhelming. But total chaos. um, I think it's really interesting. It's a lot easier for me to be put on that leader persona in my home than it has been for me at my job. I think partly because I have brought in some of those long-held scripts like we were talking about where men are the leaders and women are not. I definitely have seen that show up for myself in my job. And I would say that it's an up and down thing, right? Like it's sometimes super chaotic and life is really overwhelming, especially when there are three kids. Everything happens at once. And then there'll be times where it's just like smooth sailing and everything is as it should be. Those times are probably a lot less often than the really super chaotic ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And before COVID, I was traveling a lot. Things were a lot more chaotic. That's because it was a lot more, it's like a rubber band. We're together and then we're not. And then we're together and then we're not. COVID really provided this opportunity for us to slow down. Hmm. I didn't have to travel. I think there was a maybe, I would love to think that my kids always felt a great attachment to me, but I think my traveling prevented some of that. So Hmm. being home allowed for that kind of reattachment in a really profound way to happen. Being a leader at home, like I said, is so easy because it was just me. Being a leader at work, I started to realize I didn't really want that as much anymore, I think. Especially once COVID happened, I was home with my kids more. I was seeing opportunity to really have more balance Mm -hmm. where even though I, I was working at home, I was one of those professional women that was working at home and then her kids were doing school, although I wasn't having to do fully online school, which I'm really grateful for. I don't know that I would have survived it, (laughs) but I've really involved my kids a lot in creating balance as well and just communicating with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, since COVID, it hasn't been as much of a need just because I haven't been traveling and my job situation has changed since COVID. So I don't have to travel really anymore. Mm -hmm. And that has been really nice. While there was a time for it and I loved it, I got to travel all over the world. And that was phenomenal and actually super instrumental in changing the way that I view the world, Mm -hmm. getting to see how people live in other places, like going to Thailand and going to Dubai and going to India and seeing the way that people live is just in some ways really humbling and in other ways, just like awe-inspiring how Mm -hmm. people are living these amazing, wonderful lives 
with just the everyday regular stuff that they do. And it's so different than how I live, you know, and just seeing how we can all just have find these this profound happiness, no matter what our lives look like. And it isn't about what we have. It really isn't about our circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to find the gratitude in the moments. I hope I've brought that home to my kids because, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to go with me. Hopefully someday we'll get to go do that. I think the balance really is intentional. It had to be intentional. And Mm -hmm. I think when it wasn't so good is when I was less intentional about it. I I think I could honestly say that. That makes a lot of sense. You said that you are at the place now in your life where you're really looking to guide women. What is that path that you would say that you're guiding them on? Yeah. So right now I'm actually in the middle of trauma-informed life coaching certification. So that's like my, yeah, it's my like dream, right? To be this coach who really can work with women and people in general. But I think my number one just favorite group that I think of is women my age or like right Mm -hmm. around this age group, which I mean, I'm 42. So I'm like, okay, middle of life. But even like using Enneagram, I did that training already to be an Enneagram practitioner. And one of the reasons I did that is because I really believe that that tool has helped me put so much context to my story. Like Interesting. Yeah. Being able to, yeah. Yeah. Just understanding what motivates me. Hmm has helped me understand why I left situations that maybe other women may not have. Yeah. Why I was able to stand up and say, no, I had a cheerleading coach when I was in high school and I was like, I don't like the way you coach. I'm leaving. That's it. I quit. Why did I do that? Because I couldn't tolerate Very injustice. Yeah. yeah. So it's like puts a lot of context around things that like I previously, maybe because of the scripts had felt bad about myself for okay, doing. Yes. And so if I can look at myself and say, okay, my core motivation is justice. I am fiercely loyal. I am like one of the biggest cheerleaders of the people in my life. Mm -hmm. If that is true, those are good things, right? Mm -hmm. And I can look at my life and I can look at my story and I just have such better context for it because I understand that. I really appreciate the perspective. Since doing the training too and getting to practice because that's part of getting it certified is you have to practice with people. And so doing that, just get... I practice with my mom and my sister and getting their like pretty detailed reports. And it has been actually really fascinating because I think I've seen the same thing happen for them as well. And actually, there's a lot of talk about Enneagram is not really a personality assessment, right? It's much more about motivation, which out of that come behaviors and things like that. Absolutely, But it really is impossible to tell someone what their type is because it's all about what motivates them internally. Mm-hmm. And so what I saw happen was I thought, oh my gosh, for sure. My sister is, what did I think she was? She's a nine. She's a nine. She's a nine. Like just, uh-huh. that's what she is. And she's not. And her report came back differently. And so it's really cool because it just isn't a thing that somebody can tell you. It is a thing you really have to discover. And there are great assessments. And I, I love the assessment that I yeah. use, but there are great but assessments. it's a process of discovery. It is a process. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. So I think that's part of it. Because it's not just you are this type. Let's go through the process of discovery. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. How does your story fit with that? Does that resonate with your story? And then it helps open up some of the areas that might have been the reasons that I was stuck. Right. If I'm feeling like I shouldn't be loud and I shouldn't be calling things out when I'm going to be stuck because I feel like I'm doing this thing that I shouldn't do. And then never feeling like you're living with integrity. You're just always at war with yourself. And yeah. then with the trauma-informed life coaching, how, how do you bring trauma into 
how helping people plan their life. The reason I picked this particular program is because trauma shows up in our lives early and maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, it does in mine. I mean, you shouldn't <laughs> say that so generally. No, I think that's probably fair. Yeah. You can, you can and, go for it. I like it. Yeah. And I didn't even really realize how much, how true that was until one day my husband and I were talking in the bathroom. I mean, this is just so ridiculous. We were talking in the bathroom and he got between me and the door and I felt my entire body just bristle because he had created a, a lack of exit for me. Like I could not get out and yeah. it had nothing to do with him. And I was like, whoa, that is my something in my past just totally popped up there. So realizing that I could be in the middle of it, I, I do not even know what we were talking about. So it was just an everyday conversation. And this trauma just immediately overtook my entire being. I couldn't even have the conversation anymore. I just realized like, wow, trauma is present even when we don't realize it. And so the, this coaching program in, partic- in particular is just primarily the recognition that's true. Mm-hmm. So while we are trying to get unstuck, it's the recognition that trauma might be part of why we're stuck. And so, so it is just yeah, adding that one little component in there that can yeah. be life-changing. It's not yeah. therapy, you know, it's just being able to say, yep, there, there might be trauma in there that maybe should be dealt with, but here's how it's showing up for you in this particular situation. I love that because there are so many instances where you can feel stuck and with the whole self-help industry there's so many like how to get unstuck and you know it's kind of work harder yeah yeah like work harder get better habits atomic habits you know blah 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 on just getting unstuck but I like that secondary layer that potentially there's a reason and what is that and then I was gonna ask I think some people might be like little t triggered by the word healing Uh, and that's okay I'm not afraid of that but as a woman in this world we are in a constant process of needing healing. Yes. From just existing. And I don't want to sound like a victim or have victim mentality at all. But I do think there are these instances in our life continuously, whether we're rejected based on gender or silenced or self-silence. I do think that in order to stay like gentle and kind, we have to continue to heal. It's a little bit tough to say that because maybe it sounds a little bit dramatic. And maybe some listeners will be like, oh my goodness, no, that's not true at all. (laughs) I'm strong, blah, blah, blah. Great, great for them. But I feel like I've needed continual healing of like, oh, you know, this person offended me so deeply and I can't sleep at night. Right. What do I have to do to work through that and be okay? Um, What do you agree? Do you disagree? What's your relationship with healing like? Yeah, I totally agree. I wish that I could not feel like I had to do that all the time. I, my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday because I was having a very emotional day and I was like, why can't I just enjoy this time? And like, Mm. why can't these things just set aside for me? Why am I so intensely feeling these things? This last year has been very intentional in that healing space for me and not necessarily actually working through anything, but just creating space to have any kind of feelings, no matter what they are. So yeah, it's been really interesting to see how that's worked out. And I can't believe that a year has gone by already, or almost a year. So last January 1st, I spent all day reading a book. That's all I did. And I don't remember the last time I had done that, like where I had actually just literally sat on the couch and read. And I think I, yeah, I read a whole book. 
it was some <laughs> stupid Christmas novel, like a basically like the basically Hallmark, Hallmark. version of a Hallmark movie. Yes. Oh my goodness, I yeah. love it. It probably Sally was the goes book to version. this yeah. old town and meets her ex boyfriend yes. from high school who is a banker. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And amazing. So it, yeah, it was just like it didn't need me to think about anything, and I yeah. think that was an important part of that. So for me, so this good. was about not about reading, but about this thing that really brought me joy and really yeah. helped me be calm in my brain. Mm-hmm. And, and allowing so, yourself the space to, to take that time. Exactly. Because yeah. life is just the, from the moment I would wake up, just like rush, rush, rush. And I was mm-hmm. like, why do I do that to myself? No one is asking me to do that. Yeah, Literally so no one. So yeah. I just thought I'm going to take time every day to do this. And I think I've missed five days where I haven't gotten up, had a cup of coffee and read something. I know everybody has different things that they want to do. And next year, I really do have a goal to be more physical with my body, like getting outside and actually Mm -hmm. like doing some things. But this year really was about discovering that space and peace. And it is amazing to me how much more peaceful I feel when I do that and how much I know I didn't do it it, on the days I missed. Like I could tell later in the day. It's so good that you've yeah. given yourself the time to explore that and just be okay with the process. That is the healing dimension of, I'm just going to let this be rather yeah. than try to force it or control it. It's it's so encouraging to hear. You said that you were in the middle of a writing process. And I love that because most people are like, I've just written a book. And then you never hear about the process. <laughs> so can you tell Ooh, us about yeah. what you're writing and the process and maybe a little bit of the I don't know, self-doubt that comes along with that process. Is that too much of a heavy hitter? No, I think that is really great. And I agree. Like, you don't ever hear the process. It is yeah. always just like, here's the finished product. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, that seems so easy. Author, yeah. It's like that person has been like toiling away for seven years and you don't hear exactly, about that. Exactly. But tell, tell us. I've wanted to write a book since as long as I can remember, really. I mean, as an adult, I remember thinking, yeah, I could write a book. And then I just didn't do anything about it. And I don't know. I think life just got too busy. But in the last year and a half or so, I saw Allison Fallon was having this writing workshop. I went to the one in May. I journaled a lot. If I could show you stacks and stacks of journals. Mm-hmm. So like writing for me is not a problem. But the idea of writing a book is like all of a sudden I don't know how to do anything. And so going to that workshop was hugely helpful because Incredible it really did put that. structure Yeah, Yeah. it was the structure of it. And then going a second time was actually really interesting because I'm like trying to force the structure where I'd already Mm -hmm. learned the structure. And so there was a little bit of, okay, how many times do you need to learn how to do it? Why don't you just go do it? Good. But I was having that self-doubt also. I was like, well, I'm not doing it quite right. So I really can't do Mm -hmm. this yet. And really a lot of the process has been self-doubt and overcoming that. But I think in addition to that, it's just, what am I going to write about? What would somebody want to hear about? I could write something that I'm interested in, but what if nobody else cares about that? And I think that my, my story, my life story is full of all these different kinds of stories, but they don't all necessarily go together. So I thought, Mm -hmm. how do I do that? Where I write something that can come together with one common message. And so I was having that conversation. I was actually talking to my husband about like, these authors that have like the four hour work week. I can't even remember that guy's name, but the four hour work week and the, the they have these like kitschy little titles yeah. and these three steps and it's just, you know, bam, bam, bam. And it's yeah. how did they come up with that? Where does this come from? I want that. I want there to be something mm-hmm. that just falls from the sky. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm going to write about. And I am not kidding. Literally the next day I was like, oh, renaming yourself. That's what I'm going to write about because okay. I feel like the identity thing is a huge thing for women because mm-hmm. we do all get these scripts. We do mm-hmm. all get these stories we're told about who we're supposed to be. We are given, obviously, our name when we're born, but we're right. given so many more names than that mm-hmm. as we grow and depending on our life situations and whatever. And they can be good and they can be not good. They can mm-hmm. be damaging. They can be uplifting. There's all kinds of things. But at some point, we have to decide what are the names we actually want to keep for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we get to decide if we want new ones or if we want to keep the ones we've had. And I think for me, a good example of that is the name of single mom. I hated that when I was a single yeah. mom. I didn't like it oh, because yeah. it had so many negative connotations. And by the time I met my husband and we decided we were going to get married, I was like, I don't know that I want to let go of that. I actually mm-hmm. really like that name. That is my name. It's been my name wow. for so long. How do I give yeah. that up now? And I think there's a lot to a lot of value in getting to decide who we are ourselves without letting other people decide what that is. And so that's what I'm writing about because I really do think it is a way that I can bring a lot of my story into one book that can really be helpful. I hope it can be helpful and inspiring. It's such a great topic. I can't wait to read it. Me either. I'm really excited. (laughs) I love that. Me either. (laughs) That's so good. I have three more questions for you. What question do you wish I asked you that you could be like, I want people to know this? Yeah, I think the one thing that I would like to just say, it's not necessarily a question, but more of just like a statement for women or moms. And I I think this is a mantra I'm carrying now more Mm. than I ever have is there are no rules. Half of my life was built on obligations. And I'm realizing that there really are no rules. Like I get to decide what I'm obligated to and what I'm not. Good for you. Um, but even in parenting, that's mm-hmm. a big one. My oldest son and was at a four-month program, work through some anxiety and have a psychiatrist and a therapist and all this stuff. And I had parents say things to me like, I don't think I could have done that. I don't think I could have sent my child away. And mm-hmm. so I think that's just like an encouragement I want to share with women who might be listening that there are no rules about this. Mm -hmm. Get a parent, how to do what's best for your kids. Other people don't know. Glennon Doyle, I think, wrote in her book, don't ask directions from people who haven't been where you're going. And I think that's one of my favorite quotes is like, why would I ask someone for direction who has never been where I'm going? Totally. Also, why are you giving me unsolicited opinions? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So that's another point that actually ties into one of my last questions, which is what advice would you give to women that have faced similar things than you or in similar circumstances? Yeah. So I think... I know that I just said, don't give unsolicited advice, but this is now solicited. Yes. Because I'm asking for it. (laughs) I think I learned pretty early on. I I used to be an oversharer. I used to be like pretty bad because I don't know why I did that. I think I just thought that it was okay to do that. And it's not Mm -hmm. not okay. But for me, it ended up being situations oftentimes where I would share something and then it wasn't a safe place. So I guess my advice is like, it is good to share. It is good to be vulnerable. You may resonate with what I'm about to say because you're an eight. I struggle with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It is not always an easy thing for me to do. I think just making sure that as the healing process is happening and as Mm -hmm. vulnerability is happening, that it is with people that are safe people 
that are Mm -hmm. not going to re-traumatize you, that are really there to actually like hold space. Because giving advice is not holding space. I think we need those people that actually just hold space for us to do that transformational Mm -hmm. process of healing. Mm -hmm. My last question, I've named the podcast Bold because I think in so many ways in a woman's life, we're displaying evidence of courage and risk-taking and confidence, which in my opinion defines this essence of boldness. You are a bold woman in the ways that you've fought back against what life has thrown your way and then created something really beautiful out of it. That would be my take of listening to you. How would you define the word? And then is there a story in particular that you want to share? Following you lately has made me really reconsider this idea of what bold is. The thing that kept coming to my mind is if if no one is upset about what I'm doing, that I'm not doing enough. And I, who I, I don't mean just anybody being upset, mm. but like the, the, the powers that be, right? The people that are in charge and running the show and making the rules. If they're not upset... <laughs> with me at least a little bit (laughs) I am not doing enough Um, I think how that has shown up really recently is in my job I work in an engineering related field and so it's heavily male dominated business Mm -hmm. and they would tell you that they have absolutely no unconscious bias around females at all and that is not true no and so possible it is impossible and so it's been really interesting because as I've like really thought a lot more about this word bold and about what it means to your credit because you've been asking this question. I have started to really have conversations inside the business. I actually did go to a meeting in New Orleans in November and they were telling me, two two managers were telling me how they had to do this unconscious bias assessment. And one of them was like, yeah, I just don't trust the results because I have sisters. So I don't have that. And I was like, well, let me explain to you how unconscious bias works. Yeah. Yes. And so the only way you know that you, or the only way you can actually move through it is to become conscious of it. That's why you do assessments like this, because then you have to wrestle through all of those things. And it was a very uncomfortable conversation. So I knew I was doing something right. And I'd say that's the story right now. And good uh, for you for leaning in. People are upset. So, you know, I know I'm doing the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is coming from an Enneagram 8. That is an amazing <laughs> story. I'm allowed to say that because I'm an 8, but yeah. I, I <laughs> love the mentality. If you're not creating some enemies, you're maybe not living loud enough would That's be right. another way that I often put it, but do love making yep. friends. So, well, Rebecca, Arch. massive thank you for taking the time and, and engaging in such an honest dialogue. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been so chatting. awesome. Yeah, I look forward to reading your book. We'll follow up next year. We'll have another conversation about your book. How does that sound? That sounds great. I look forward to it. Rebecca, thank you much for your time. Bye. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. I want to conclude this podcast with a few comments about my conversation that I had with Rebecca. She said a few things that really struck me. One was, I'm consistently becoming more than I was before. What I love about this so much is that it indicates her growth mindset. I think a lot of times in life, especially if we've endured hardships or faced challenges that were unanticipated, or in her case, was a solo mom and a working mom, I think it's easy to move into more of a victim mindset. But Rebecca has this phenomenal growth mindset of 
wanting to evolve, wanting to take up more space, wanting to become a bigger presence, wanting to become more her. And I love the acknowledgement that she's actually becoming more than she was and on a consistent basis. So that growth mindset is something that was inspirational from the conversation. One of my favorite components in this conversation is honesty. And you'll hear me say this all the time. At least we're honest. Rebecca showed up in this conversation with the gift of honesty. It is rare that you have a solo mom that is willing to discuss her religious background, the community's response to her divorce, what it's like raising a neurodivergent son, being a single working mom, relying on her own mom to help with the kids. Props to Rebecca for talking about her experience. Thank you for that honesty that you offered us, Rebecca. Lastly, do you believe that your passion comes from your most painful experiences? Is it these experiences in our life that shape the thing we want to do? In my own life, that is true. My desire to empower women comes directly from an experience of discrimination due to being a woman. Something about that experience crystallized my desire to help set other women free, to empower those around me, and to let women belong, whoever they are and however they show up in the world. So I resonated with Rebecca's story, that she longs to help people heal, evolve, and grow into who they are. She's doing that through coaching and writing. She's come alongside people that have had different experiences. And rather than just sticking to her own life and sinking into survival mode, which we all do on occasion, she's working so hard to help those around her, to liberate those around her, and help people heal. I would love to hear your thoughts about the conversation. Feel free to get in touch. You can find me on Instagram at Kelly Rose Lamb. You can also go to my website and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It's boldpodcast.co. Would love to see you there. This podcast is produced in part by Pam Cameron. Many thanks to all of those who have helped me along the way.